This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning. We're in a series at the moment which we're calling Beyond, uh, and we're looking at the way that the message about Jesus went out uh, into all the world, uh, as is recorded for us in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And we're not doing every single chapter and verse. Uh, We're skipping over a few bits and kind of doing a fast-forward version. Uh, So we're actually already in chapter 8, which is pretty quick. Um, And we're looking this morning uh, at what I think is uh, quite a fascinating little moment in the book of Acts, and it's actually one that I've never preached on, and I can't really remember ever sitting where you are and hearing someone else preach on it either. Um, You might discover as we go along why people avoid this passage, but I got it, as is tradition in this church, it seems. I get the tricky ones. How about I read read it for us? We're in Acts chapter 8, as I said, verses 9 to 25, and I'm just going to read the whole story in one big hit. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, They prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. It's dramatic, isn't it? Uh, Here we have this man, Simon, uh, in some city in Samaria. Luke doesn't seem to recall exactly which city it was, or if he does, he doesn't bother telling us. But he wants us to know that this Simon was uh, someone who practiced sorcery. 
I'm afraid we don't exactly know what that might have meant precisely. Uh, the Greek word um, is actually the word, the word that we get the word magic from, mageo. Um, but he was some kind of a, a wonder worker. He did things that people couldn't explain, uh, that people were impressed by and amazed by, things that seemed miraculous or magical in some way. He may have had a, a kind of... I think sometimes we, we then assume that it had nothing to do with religion, that it was some kind of occult practice off over here. But actually, it seems that, that people had kind of connected these ideas across together, uh, that they believed that God was being manifested in Simon, that he was a manifestation of God's power, and that's where his, his magical or sorcery kind of stuff was coming from. And so he would have had this kind of cult following, uh, where people were like, this is the guy, if you want to get close to God, you need to encounter this Simon guy. So, he boasted. He boasted of how great he was, how significant he was. He loved the fact that people called him the great power of God. I like, I like the way Luke puts it, uh, that he boasted that he was someone great. I don't know if you've ever met someone like that. Pretty insufferable. Uh, but people liked Simon, clearly. And then Philip shows up in town. Philip was one of the guys uh, that was uh, set aside to look after the feeding of the widows. Do you remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago? Um, he seems to have abandoned his post and travelled to Samaria. Not abandoned his post, that's a joke. But yes, he, he's gone, he's gone travelling to share about Jesus with people and specifically with the Samaritans. Uh, this is the... Uh, the good news of Jesus going out. Remember, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. That's where we're up to. And after that will be, anyone know? The ends of the earth. Good answer. So, Philip comes and proclaims, he doesn't proclaim that he is someone great, he proclaims that Jesus Christ is the king of God's kingdom. And so people moved from following Simon, not to follow Philip, but to follow Jesus because of the goodness of the good news about Jesus and his death and resurrection. But here's where it gets interesting. Alongside that, that preaching, that message, are great signs and miracles. And these miracles are even greater than the great things that Simon has been doing. And even Simon himself acknowledges that. He is amazed at what's going on here. He is convinced that there is something incredible about this Jesus message. And so, while everyone else is really impressed by Jesus, Simon is really impressed by Philip and the miracles. And he follows Philip around when everyone else has decided to follow Jesus. So, then the drama continues. Peter and John show up. 
Peter and John arrive, and they say, Philip, you've done a great job, except when you baptized everyone, you missed a bit. You baptized them in the name of Jesus, but you didn't baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so they pray for these new believers, these Samaritans, that they would receive the Holy Spirit, and they do. And Simon is even more impressed. And Luke, unfortunately, doesn't tell us exactly what impressed Simon about this prayer meeting and this moment where these people were receiving the Holy Spirit for the first time. Uh, I'd love to know, what did that look like? What did that sound like? Why was that so exciting and impressive to Simon? Maybe they had some kind of ecstatic experience. Maybe people were laughing or crying for joy. Maybe people were just sitting in this incredible, deep sense of peace. I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, the peace that the Holy Spirit gives us. Or perhaps they received healing, uh, where people had been sick or or whatever, and, and God was healing them by the Spirit. Perhaps they were speaking in tongues. Perhaps they were declaring prophetic words and and speaking the words of God to one another. I don't know. Luke doesn't say. But whatever it was, Simon was really into it. He thought this was so cool. And he wanted to be part of it. But not just part of it. He wanted to be the big guy. He wanted to be the one up the front who was making it happen. And so he goes up to Peter and he says, what's it going to cost? How much can I pay you so that I can do what you can do, so that I can give the Holy Spirit to people? And Peter, quite rightly, is shocked and appalled by this. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, uh, he seems to have a real go at poor Simon. (laughs) I feel sorry for Simon at this moment. May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin." I've never said anything like that to anyone. (laughs) Have you? Have you even heard someone say something like that? Maybe maybe someone who's, uh, you know, a little bit off with the fairies, a little bit bizarre, might speak like that. Um, But this is Peter. Like, we're supposed to, to follow his example, aren't we? Are we? What do we do with this? I think, I think there's two things we need to do with this. The first one is to say that 2,000 years ago, in the Greco-Roman world, things were a little bit different. People thought differently uh, about these kinds of relationships. This is going to be a bit bizarre for you, uh, if you if you're an Aussie and you've lived in this very egalitarian society all of your life. The idea that people would have social status, and that that would be a reasonable and normal thing uh, is kind of very strange to us. Peter, it's already well established, is the high status person in this relationship between Peter and Simon. 
He is a man of authority. He is an apostle. He is the apostle of apostles. He is the top guy. And Simon is willing, I think, to be spoken down to in this moment. Um, And that's kind of hard to even get your head around. Like, as I said, I I have never spoken to anyone like that and never would. Um, And if anyone spoke to me like that, no matter what status they supposedly had, I would still be really offended and affronted to be talked to like that. How dare he? But in this kind of status-driven way of having these relationships, maybe, maybe in that culture, it's not quite so shocking. So if we can put the shock of it to one side and just look at the content of what Peter is saying to Simon. He's saying Simon needs to repent. Now the word repent is a very religious word, isn't it? Like do you ever use that word outside of talking about the Bible and Jesus and church and stuff like that? Um, But really, it's actually a word about thinking. It's a thinking word. Uh, the, The Greek word is metanoia, which literally means to think differently, to change your mind, to reconsider. Uh, In this kind of context, it means turning your back on the things that you did in the past and on the way that you thought, changing the direction of your heart and the direction of your mind to go in a new direction, uh, a 180. And so we've got to kind of think about, well, what, what is it about Simon's heart and mind that needs the, the metanoia, the, the change of direction? What does he need to do at this point in the story? You see, this is a story about people coming to meet Jesus, coming to know Jesus for the first time. Before this chapter in the book of Acts, Simon knows nothing about Jesus. Philip shows up and Simon is interested, he's impressed, he's like, I want to get in on this, I want to be part of what's happening here, and he gets baptized. He makes a decision. Uh, Luke uses the word believe. He says that Simon believed in Jesus at this point. But deep down, In his heart of hearts, nothing changed. Do you see that? His heart and his mind were pretty much the same as they had always been. Simon was still the sorcerer in his heart. He was still focused on himself. He was still obsessed with power. He still wanted to have influence over other people. He still wanted to be... Uh, the one who was doing amazing things and that people would say, this is the great power of God. So yeah, he had been baptized. I suppose he thought of himself as a Christian, so to speak. That word hadn't been invented yet at this point. Uh, but certainly he was like, I've, I've decided to follow Jesus. On some level, there'd been a change, but not on a deep level. He had kind of put a a Christian veneer on the surface of things. 
but nothing had changed in his heart. And this is the challenge, I think. I think that sometimes we think about discovering Jesus or Jesus discovering us, of coming to know Jesus, of entering that relationship with Jesus as this moment of initial connection, of initial decision. We say to someone, would you like to know Jesus? And they say, yes. And we say, awesome. Pray this prayer and you'll be a Christian. But what is happening in the heart? What is going on on the deeper level? Or maybe to make it more personal. Can I do that? You okay with that? We're going to make it more personal? It's going to get hard really, really, really quickly. I think we are all like Simon. No matter how long you've been a Christian for, there are things in your heart that have not changed yet. We take the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and rather than being transformed, we put on a Christian veneer over our preconceived ideas, over our ways of thinking and acting. Some of us love, love money. So we take Jesus, we take Christianity, and we add it to our love of money. And we make a kind of Christianity that is focused on money. Everything gets measured in terms of money, dollars. We say things like, if God loves me, he would want me to be rich. Or we say things like, how much I'm earning is a measure of my worth and my success. Or we say, in this world, money is what is used to make things happen. And if God wants me to change the world for him, if God wants to use me to bring his kingdom, then of course, he's going to want me to have lots of money so I can do things with it. And these are little thoughts that don't even have words to them, just a sense in your heart of how you feel and how you think and how you act and how you walk through the world. And the claim that we follow Jesus gets kind of mixed up in the fact that we still follow money. You know, Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. And yet we try and sort of mush the two together and make a way to make it work. But we cannot. So who do you truly love? God or money? Perhaps money's not your issue. Maybe the thing that you love is a bit like Simon. You love being popular. You love being well thought of. Your greatest fear is that somebody would hate you and criticize you and dislike you and find you annoying. And you're always trying to please other people. And so, when you come to know Jesus, you, you put a Jesus veneer over that. And so then you sort of say, I'm going to have to show everyone just how good a Christian I am. I'm going to have to put on this kind of holiness act to say, look how respectable I am, or look how knowledgeable about the Bible I am, or, or look at all the, 
the Christian words I can drop into conversations to impress all the people at church, how spiritual I am. And yet, the Jesus we claim to follow calls us to be humble and meek, to love others above our love of ourselves. It's a challenge. Maybe you love to feel important, to feel superior to others. And so you take Christianity and add that to the love of being better than other people or thinking you are, and you become judgmental. Or you seek out positions of power and influence over others where they have to do what you say. But Jesus, the Jesus we claim to follow, Jesus calls us to be servants. So what do you do with that? Maybe you love consuming, you love buying stuff, uh, you love the joy that it gives you to go shopping for something new. And so you have a kind of consumeristic Christianity where you think, I'm going to shop around and find the best kind of church uh, or the best kind of Christian music or whatever it is, and that's the framework. Or you love fun and you have a kind of hedonistic Christianity where it's all about the experience and the ecstasy and avoiding any kind of suffering or sadness. Maybe you love comfort and just want a comfortable Christianity, but Jesus calls us to go and take up our cross and deny ourselves to follow him. I could go on and on. I think I've gone on and on enough on this point. Do you get what I'm getting at? If you still live with the the same heart, some values, some ideas, some worldview in your heart that is no different to how your heart was before, Or perhaps to say it's no different to your friends and your neighbors who don't follow Jesus. If your heart is the same and it hasn't really changed, then you're like Simon. So the question this morning, the challenge at this point, is to say, have you really given yourself over to follow Jesus? Have you really given up yourself to him? Have you really allowed the Holy Spirit to change your heart and your mind? Let me reread again the very harsh words of the Apostle Peter. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. But that's not the end. That last, well, third last word, that last idea in what Peter says in those very harsh sounding words to Simon, that maybe you're feeling are harsh sounding words to you. I certainly feel them this morning. Is that really what God is saying to me? Well, if sin has made us captives, then where does freedom come from? It's so easy to get stuck 
in a particular way of thinking. Now, uh, th there's like science to this, that our brains have little highways in them, and you get stuck in a pattern, and you think the same way you've always thought, and it's really hard to change that pattern, to change your mind. And we said, didn't we, that repentance, metanoia, was about changing the way you think, changing your mind. How are you going to do that? It's so hard to think differently, to even conceive of a different way of thinking about something, if you've only known one way. And even harder, if the people around you also think that way. What is Simon going to do? How is it that he is going to change his way of thinking? It's not enough for him to just add Jesus to his existing life and his existing way of thinking, because he's going to get this weird, mixed-up version of Jesus that is based on his sorcery framework. And we have the same problems, maybe not on quite so dramatic a level. Like, how is Simon supposed to think about Christianity, about the Holy Spirit, about the power of God and these miracles that he's seeing happening around him, without the framework of his love of power and influence. Like, the power of God is, is a good thing, and he thinks power is good, and so he adds the power of God to his ideas about power. Is there another way? He can't imagine another way. He can't get his mind out of this captivity that it's in, and neither can we. What we need to be is we need to be set free. We need to be released. We need to be saved, don't we? We always talk about that. It's what we need more than anything else. The good news of Jesus is this. If you're feeling this morning, as we talk about Simon, as we look at this example in Scripture, if you're feeling like, you need to change your mind, but you don't know how, then the good news is that it's not all on you. You don't have to change yourself. Perhaps you couldn't anyway. The good news is that Jesus loves you and he wants to set you free. Can I say that again? The good news is that Jesus loves you and he wants you to be set free. You don't have to break out of the chains that you're in under your own strength and your own power. He is going to come in and set you free. The Apostle Paul, some years after these events, uh, he wrote these words to the Christians in Rome. Uh, they're very autobiographical. Um, this is from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. And we're going to finish with this idea. Uh, this is, I've got this in the uh, New Living Translation, just to, it's very, um, it's quite a conversational translation. I think it will be helpful. He writes this. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. 
I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that's the good news this morning. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. Um, I want to invite you to pray with me. Um, in, in preparing this sermon, um, I really went on a bit of a journey. I think I've brought you along with me now. Um, and I think it would be good for us all if we spend some time praying. Oh, Lord God, uh, we acknowledge that we need your help. We need you to make us free. God, in our hearts and in our minds, we long to live for you. We long to do what is good and what is right. We long uh, to be your servants in this world, making things the way they should be, living the way you intend. But God, seems like we just can't get it right all the time. That we still think the way we've always thought, we still act the way we've always acted, Lord, we want to change. We want to be renewed. We want to be transformed. So this morning, Lord, for the first time or for the hundredth time, for the thousandth time, Lord, we give ourselves up to you. We let go of the struggle. We let go of the shame. We let go of the desire to be in control. Lord, we come before you asking for forgiveness and asking for change. Lord, change our hearts, change our minds by the power of your Spirit. Make us new. Transform us from the inside out. Lord, not to change our behaviour, but to change our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.